All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, these words you've given me and for the message itself. Lord, I, I just pray that minds and hearts are opened and ears are opened to see and hear exactly what you want to do through this message. So give you all the glory, Lord, and the praise. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during our Lenten season, it's got a lot of reverb on it, doesn't it? Seems to. Maybe not quite so much. That's better. Uh, during the Lenten season, we've been talking about Holy Communion, right? And um, what I want to try and do today is to help you sort of see and, and understand that there is a connection or that there can be a connection between the Lord's Supper and the fact that that's the perfect opportunity for God to display his presence and his power. And so if you, if you picture, if you will, some of you will get that, um, a celebration of the Lord's Supper and suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, the remembrance of Jesus' death is, is foundational to healing. We learn that in 1 Peter 2, 24. But this whole meal then becomes a sacred moment where God's people can lay hands on one another and experience healing. And in this moment, the spirit of Jesus is present both in the sharing of the bread and the cup and in the sharing of prophetic words. Is that scenario a possibility? Well, while we may realize that the Apostle Paul taught on communion and spiritual gifts, and that was that whole section in 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14, we often overlook the fact that those chapters are all tied together. You know, to read Paul in context is to acknowledge that he sees these two things as, as interconnected. The idea of the Lord's Supper and the idea of spiritual gifts in operation. For example, Paul recounts <clears throat> Jesus' instructions concerning the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> then in chapter 12, we read that the Holy Spirit sovereignly empowers gifts in order to unify and bless and build up the church. These spiritual gifts, as we then read in chapter 12, 13, are ineffective without love, which is the greatest expression of God's kingdom. And then Paul offers clarification concerning tongues and interpretation and prophecy in the 14th chapter. So it was clear that he saw a connection between these things, between the idea of church, communion, and spiritual gifts. There's a natural transition from discussing communion to spiritual gifts because breaking bread was a regular part of the worship gatherings in the early church. And it also makes sense <clears throat> because the Eucharist is a means of experiencing Jesus' grace. And spiritual gifts really are just an expression of God's grace. While our hearts awaken to the profound depth of God's love, it makes sense that we would experience the gifts of the Spirit at the Lord's table. 
Now in the vineyard, we take seriously the command to seek first the kingdom of God. When we pray, we pray the very priorities that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so gathering together, when we come together, we anticipate and expect God's kingdom to come and to break into our lives. You see, the kingdom is not a place the way we think of kingdoms today. Kingdom is the dynamic rule and reign of God. So shouldn't we view an encounter, or excuse me, shouldn't we view communion as an encounter with King Jesus hosting a meal and demonstrating his rule and reign? What if every week we celebrated the Eucharist with an eye to see and an ear to hear what the Father is doing? So let's now look at how the Lord's Supper is the perfect context for God to display his presence. <clears throat> and the first point is that we feast as a family. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, in this verse, Paul lays out for us this awesome three-part fellowship progression that is the Christian faith, right? And so the first thing he says is that we're, not, we're no longer strangers. Nobody wants to be a stranger. I mean, even if you're kind of a loner and you can sort of keep to yourself, you still don't want to be a stranger. Being a stranger is uncomfortable. It's why we, at least for most of us, it's so hard to walk into a room of people that we don't know. We're just kind of wired that that's not, it's not. It's why I am constantly reminding all of you to introduce yourself to newcomers. Because we want to eliminate to whatever extent we possibly can that feeling of being a stranger. You know, yes, they're still going to feel, you know, that they're new to the place. But if a lot of folks come up and just say, hey, how are you? My name is Joe. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. You know, it, it starts to take away that strangeness. And they begin to feel a little bit more like uh, this is an okay place. We all like to be known by people. And we like to know people as well. And so, and what's interesting is that in the ESV translation in particular, it takes this idea of being a stranger even further by saying that people who are outside the faith are also aliens. Now, Merriam-Webster defines an alien as relating, belonging, or owing allegiance to another country or government. So when you put these two words together, stranger and alien, you begin to see just how far away unbelievers are from Jesus. It sort of brings to mind the story of Moses who thought, who, though he was a Jew by birth, was raised in Egypt as an Egyptian 
but he later ran off to the land of Midian. And because of that time that he spent there, it was 40 years, he named one of his sons Gershom because he said he had been a stranger in a strange land. Strangers in a strange land really seems to be what Paul's describing here. Persons outside of our faith are not just unknown strangers. It's as if they're from a completely different country. But, greatest word in the gospel, but. As soon as one comes to Jesus, these negative characteristics all go away. That person is no longer considered a stranger and an alien. And that's just step one. Step two gets even better. Because Paul continues by saying that the believer becomes fellow citizens with the saints. Now that's quite a transition. Now again, according to uh, Merriam-Webster, a citizen is a person who legally belongs to a country and has the rights and protection of that country. Now I would imagine it's pretty scary being in this country illegally. You know, if anything should happen to you, you have no rights and no protection. Now, this is not a discussion about immigration. It's just a fact that if you're, you know, if you are here and you're not here legally, you don't have those advantages, right? So now, if you kind of take that on an earthly plane and you translate that into a, um, a final judgment perspective, when God is going to decide, in a manner of speaking, which country you're going to belong to. And so if you're with Jesus in that situation, you already have citizenship in heaven. Your protection is Jesus. Such that when it is time to be judged, Jesus steps forward and in essence says, he or she is with me. If you're not already a citizen with the saints, that's not going to happen. You're on your own before the judge without any rights, without any protections. Strangers in a strange land are not likely to be shown any mercy on judgment day. So, for our believers, though, we've gone from being this unknown outsider to being a legal insider. But the final step is the best of all. Because finally, Paul says that the believer becomes members of the household of God. Now, I'm not really sure why the ESV translates this word as household because the underlying Greek word in this, which is oikeoi, actually means kin or family member. Isn't that awesome? As if it weren't good enough to go from being an alien and a stranger to a citizen, God intentionally makes the relationship even more intimate by making us members of his own family. Alienated foreigners with no citizenship papers 
have joined the people of God with heavenly citizenship. And they're also members of a spiritual family, which is God's household. And so when we become followers of Jesus, we become members of this huge family. Correspondingly, our worship gatherings should be celebrations among family. I've always sort of seen Sunday worship. <clears throat> if you think about Sunday worship and you think about our life groups, life groups ought to sort of be like the gathering together of your immediate family, you know, your brothers and sisters. Sunday in worship, it's kind of like a family reunion where all the cousins and the crazy aunts and uncles and <laughs> all of those people sort of all come together at the same time. But it's still family, right? We're all still family. And so point one is that we feast at the Lord's table as a family, crazy aunts and uncles included. Point two is that families have needs. Probably not a surprise to anybody that's part of a family. When a bunch of individuals member, members gather together, there's bound to be a variety of needs that are going to come up. Some of those needs are going to require um, encouragement. Some will require strengthening of some kind. Some may require comfort. Some may be physical needs, emotional needs. And so our worship gathering should be a safe place where people can be honest about what their needs are. But also be open to how the Holy Spirit chooses to work. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the important point to understand here is this idea of the common good. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are not given to each of us for our own edification, generally speaking. They're supposed to be used publicly to build up the church. Hello? Some gifts help those who are in the church grow even closer to Christ. Other gifts bring outsiders into the family. Other gifts help encourage those in the church who are carrying burdens. And see, all of them are needed. For different needs require different gifts. Again and again in these four chapters that Paul is, is uh, laying out here, he keeps bringing the Corinthians back to this idea of the good of the community, not the personal whims of individuals. But the most important truth that he stresses is that individual Christians are intended to demonstrate that they have the Spirit of God within them. Scottish theologian Tom Smale wrote this. The spirit must not be spiritualized. He operates in the body and his business there is to produce visible glory, which all who have eyes for reality can see. In other words, 
The Spirit intends to make himself felt as the community of the Holy Spirit understands and knows his gifts as well as his fruit. Now, one of the reasons that I think the church sometimes lacks credibility as a community of the Holy Spirit lies right in this area. Many Christians do not or cannot manifest their distinctive gifts in the life of their local church. We have this rich variety of the Christian community that's hidden. And the corporate life of the church appears to the outsider as dull and conformist instead of diverse and colorful. And so communion thus provides a great context where the church can invite the Holy Spirit to come in power to meet the needs that each member of the family has. Point three is that God wants to use you to bless those around you. It's a fact. God uses his people to bless others. Are you open? And are you listening for what the Holy Spirit may be directing you to do? If the Lord speaks to you today about blessing somebody else while we're taking communion, are you willing to take a risk? What obstacles are holding you back from being open to the Holy Spirit's leadership? I recently read this book called The Irresistible Church, 12 Traits of a Church Heaven Applauds. Books by a, a pastor named Wayne Cordero. Actually, pastors a church in Hawaii. Everybody want to go visit Wayne? <laughs> Among the traits that he lists, these 12 traits of an irresistible church are promoting healthy relationships, uh, practicing gratefulness, remembering our identity. That ought to sound familiar to a few of you. Talked about that not long ago. And promoting spiritual self-feeding. But do you know what the number one trait he lists as the most important trait of an irresistible church. One that hungers, oops, one that hungers for the presence of God. His definition of hungering for the presence of God includes three vital components. The first is for a greater realization of God's presence. See, God's already present. God's always present. But we want to perceive that presence more. We want to be more conscious, conscious of him. We want a greater awareness that he is in our midst. In James, God promises that if we will draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And throughout scripture, it indicates that we will experience his presence in ever-increasing measures as we hunger more for him. 
Second, when we hunger for the presence of God, we long to be filled to full measure with his Holy Spirit. Now again, although the Holy Spirit's presence in a believer is constant, Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 indicates that our experience can vary by the degree of his power and presence operating in our lives. We're filled with the Holy Spirit when God occupies every part of our lives. When he's allowed to do within us all that he came to do. Not part, all that he came to do. And third, when we talk about hungering for the presence of God, we may include the request for a special anointing for a specific task or at a specific time. And this is what we mean when we refer to God's manifest presence. It's a clear, visible increase of God's working in a specific situation or event or life. For instance, you could have a special outpouring of God's power uh, may flow through a meeting such as this. It may touch the lives of people in a marked way. It may be evident in a particular way for a specific season or for a revival. So if you take all three of these components into consideration, seeking the presence of God is of utmost importance in our churches. One man said that you could take the Holy Spirit out of half the churches in America and they would keep right on going as if nothing happened. This reality is abhorrent. An irresistible church longs for God's presence more than anything, more than spacious facilities, cutting-edge programs, large attendance, or big budgets. Might be having a battery problem. We're almost. I want more of God's presence in this church. It's why I became a vineyard pastor. And I am not going to spend my last days, however long that may be, in a church that has no interest in regularly seeing the power of God on display in its services. So we are going to make space in our services for the Holy Spirit to come and operate. We are going to sink our hearts with heaven. We are going to do everything we can to do business with God on a regular basis. Now, quite a few of you here today have been through the School of Kingdom Ministry. You have been trained in engaging God with prayer ministry, in prophetic words, in words of knowledge and wisdom, and in being sensitive to God's Spirit. It's time for you to step up. And I say that in the most loving way I can, but I'm deadly serious about this. It's time for you to come to church prepared to engage God.
it's time for you to go to work for the kingdom. It's time for you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a broken world, starting with the broken people in this church. Now, I will confess at this point that I don't know exactly what this is going to look like or exactly how this is going to work. I'm trusting God that he's going to work it all out. I'm placing my trust in the Holy Spirit in a way that you have to know is uncomfortable for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> because I have to surrender control of the service. Now, that does not mean that things are going to get wild and crazy and completely out of hand. <clears throat> Paul emphasized as well to the Corinthians that there must be order in their service. And I believe that what he said to them applies to us as well. So if there's such a thing as controlled chaos, then that might be what our time on Sunday looks like. This is going to take some discernment on my part. But it's also going to take discernment on your part too. It's going to include you not getting offended when something happens that you question or perhaps do not agree with. Simply because we become intentional about, about seeing God's manifest presence come about in this church does not mean that we all suddenly become infallible. Mistakes will be made. Messes will be made. And we have to approach this with an open mind and a forgiving spirit. If correction or rebuke is necessary, we will do so in a loving way. We're going to learn together. And through it all, we're going to remember that God is not limited by our interpretation of his book. Let me say that again. God is not limited by our interpretation of his book. The context of 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 shows that Paul saw no reason to compartmentalize the Eucharist, the Eucharist celebration and spiritual gifts. Because the early church viewed the Lord's Supper as central to Christian worship, we should envision a thicker communion that invites the Holy Spirit to come in power. And as we remember the cross, we should also remain open to the Spirit and whatever he chooses to do in us or with us or through us. So here's what we're going to do. I'd like to uh, go ahead and invite the wor worship team to come back up. And they're going to play.
You guys had one song, and if we go a little bit longer, can you just maybe do one of the ones that we've done already? Really? <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Never actually said that to anyone. That felt kind of good. Um, and so let's do this. I mean, as it, I want you all, especially those of you who have been to the school, but everyone, I mean, this is not limited to that. So if you haven't been to the School of Kingdom Ministry, you are not off the hook, okay? You hear God just as well as everybody else. You may not know it because some, the, what the school teaches is sort of how to begin to hear better, but you still hear. He's still speaking to you, okay? And so the way we're gonna way we're gonna try this, and this may change as we uh, as we kind of go through uh, weeks and months of this, is <clears throat> you know before you come up or as you're standing in line, I want you to pray to see if God is speaking to you about um, about somebody who He has a word for. Right now. And I want you to look around as we do this. Who in here would like to have prayer for physical healing today? Let's lift up your hand. All right, high. Real high. Get them up there, unless that's the problem. Then, then use your other hand. All right, so we've got one, <laughs> two, three. Did I see one? Donna, Jackie. All right, look around, see who these people are. <clears throat> If you feel like God's leading you to go pray with one of them, then that's what you should do. And you can come up and take communion and then just go over to them and pray. If you feel like God's giving you a word for somebody, then I want you to go up to the person and, and give that word. If you feel like it's a word for the group, come to me. I don't want to, <clears throat> I don't want a lot of, I don't want to damper that. But at the same time, I want this to be a time of kind of ministering to one another, right? Not so much, you know, a big word for the group. We have kind of time for that during worship time um, earlier in the service. If you, if God, you don't feel like God is saying anything to you, that's fine too. You can just sit and worship. We'll play a couple of songs. So, Father, I just pray now that you would bless each person here. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Bless and protect each person, each family represented here. Touch each one. We especially lift up our brother Richard, who is still in the hospital but is doing much better. So we just pray that you would continue to heal him as well as our sister Donna. So, as we leave this place, Father, we know that we will take you with us. Give us the strength and the courage to spread you out amongst all those that we meet.